Hello, friends. It's really good to see you here. We're really glad to see you online as well. We are in the series called King Jesus, and this is part three, and I'm so glad he's in charge. It is a good series, a good day to be here, a good day to rejoice that he is king. We have been through two episodes so far. We start the third, and the third episode is called this, Embrace His mission. So we looked at in session one, uh, not a fuzzy Jesus, getting rid of all of the blurry conceptions that we might have of who Jesus is. And uh, we hit a lot of them. We didn't hit all of them, of course. And then we went into uh, submit to his authority, two words that we resist and do not like. And yet, if he's so good, it's actually very good for us to just be at peace and submit to his authority. Today we're looking at embracing his mission. Now, there was a church that uh, put out a simple survey that ended up being very discouraging to the pastor. He was surprised by the answers. He simply asked for uh, two answers to two questions. Just answer what you think the answer is. And all of the uh, adult members that he thought were really well-trained adult members. He'd been teaching them all along. He asked two questions, and the first question is, what do you think is the mission of the church? What do you think is the mission of the church? And the second question he asked on the survey was, and what is, in your estimation, your personal life mission? Just please answer these two questions. We'll be addressing some of these things in a series that's coming, that kind of thing. And he was shocked with all of the adults that answered. Only a couple of them said that the mission of the church was to make disciples. And that's kind of what we've been focusing on in this series so far. So it wouldn't be fair for me to ask that question of you because we're in the middle of this series. It's kind of like prepping you with an answer. I think we get a lot more people saying the mission is to go and make disciples. We've been talking about that for a couple of weeks. But then he was further shocked when In the answer to what do you think is your personal life mission, not a single individual adult committed to Christ answering that survey answered that it was their personal mission to go and make disciples. And it just disappointed him deeply. Now, let's make no mistake about this. The church is not something separate from us as individuals. The church is us as individuals. We are the church. The church is not the building. The church is not our services. The church is not the programs. The church is the people, the gathered people. And so when we say the church's mission is to go make disciples, that is each and every individual's mission to go and make disciples. If it's our mission in life to have any other mission in life other than making disciples, the church fails. Because we are the church. The church cannot make disciples apart from us. And that is something that is a strange anomaly in America right now, that somehow we believe it's the church's responsibility to make disciples, not my personal responsibility to make disciples. Now, albeit, we feel inadequate in the tenseness that we feel in our culture right now, the polarity of our culture to speak boldly about Christ and to speak about what he means to us. And so we have this feeling like, I'm not equipped. I don't have the answers. I can't deal with these 
issues and questions. And so there is a problem. And that's point number one, the problem. Houston, we have a problem. And we've been talking about this being a ship. The church is a ship, but it's not a cruise ship for our enjoyment, for our pleasure, and we pick and choose which things we want to hear, which styles we have, which classes are offered, what music we want. No, we're not a cruise ship. We're a rescue ship taking orders from our captain, who is King Jesus. And so when we're not taking orders from the captain, when we think it's somebody else's job to make disciples, we have a problem. And I want to articulate that problem in several different ways today, but of course, I don't want to stay with the problem. I want to talk about a solution because all of us are the solution, and I don't want us to feel inadequate. I want us to feel encouraged that we have the solution to this problem. But first, let's settle a little bit more deeply on the problem. Here's a quote. The congregation that ignores mission will atrophy and soon find itself shattered by internal dissension. It will inevitably begin to lose its own young people, disillusioned by hearing the gospel trumpet sounded every Sunday for those who never march. Now here's a problem. The young people hear the messages but don't see it lived out with adults in American culture. And we see in American culture young people, once they have the choice on their own to Attend or not attend, they're not attending in droves. And it's because the church has lost its mission. They hear it sounded clearly over and over again, but they don't see it. And it actually gets more personal than that. Here's the next quote. If a family fails to seek to gather friends and neighbors to Christ in hospitality and quiet witness, the children of the family will be scattered We fail to bring up children in the nurture of the Lord if we fail to involve them in our efforts to gather others to the Savior. It's not the church's job to whet the appetite of the young people. It's the parents' job to whet the appetite and be the example and be Christ and be a visible model where they're discipling them and showing them how to disciple others, that discipling others is very, very important. Making disciples is a key factor in seeing the life of Jesus very real and alive and transformative and it's vibrant and it's exciting. If all it is is going to church, no wonder young people are leaving the church all across America as fast as they hear their professors talk about how unreal it is because it proves what they already suspicion, that it doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem real in my house. It doesn't seem real from anything I've seen. And we are failing. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's good for nothing except to be trampled underfoot by men. When we see our nation failing, it's because the salt has lost its saltiness. We don't need to point our fingers at others. We need to point our fingers at ourselves. We are no longer good for anything but to be trampled underfoot. And the persecution is our own fault if we are not changing our culture. You see what I'm saying? 
We have to become light. We have to become salt. We have to carry the mission. If we have abandoned the mission, which is the very mission of what it means to be a Christian, we're living in this strange anomaly where we believe in discipleship, but we don't believe in making disciples, which is crazy. Houston, we have a problem. The ship is failing. Well, it's failing because we aren't following the mission of Christ, but the solution is is there for us. Here's some more about the problem. The church is not the gathered assembly. We are the church. We gather and scatter to gather others to Jesus. The church is always a gathered assembly for the purpose of scattering, and when we're scattered, we're the church, and when we're gathered, we're the church. It's both. We tend to think of ourselves as the church only when we're in the building, only when we're doing church services, only when we're doing church stuff. We go to church. No, we are the church. Church means the assembled, the congregation, the congregation of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And what Jesus says to us is that I'm sending you. John chapter 20, verse 21 Jesus says this, and again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's not saying this to the 12 disciples. He's saying this to all his disciples. We can't take this to be only for the preachers who are sent. It's always to the followers, the disciples who are sent. So just to get a hold of this, we need to get a hold of this personally and not hear it for somebody else. We need to hear it for ourselves. So would you imagine with me, you are with Jesus and visibly you see his face and his eyes are looking right into your eyes and he says this to you. So, In a moment, I want us to say our name right before this quote. I'll say, again, Jesus said, and then you say your own name and imagine Jesus is saying this to you. And I'll say my name. We may need to do this a couple times because I don't know if you're awake yet. Okay? (laughs) Again, Jesus said, Jim. All right, you're not awake yet. Let's try this. Again, Jesus said, Jim, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Let's change it up. See how awake you are. We'll put the name at the end. Okay? Put your name at the end. Ready? Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you, Jim. You need to hear this personally, that that's what it means to follow Jesus. If you're not following Jesus in the mission that he has sent us for, what are we here for? And yet, we, I don't want you to hear this as something just pounding against you. Here, here's an, another way to put it. Jesus could have brought the whole world to himself using more pizzazz, more power. He could have chosen a lot of different methods. He used a lot of power to get people's attention. And he spoke to crowds, he did. But speaking to crowds has this effect. If we could have a life transformation meter on our 
life's dashboard, the life transformation meter, everything we hear in a crowd or a class, its needle goes bump, and then it settles back down to the inertia that we have and where we kind of settle in life. Bump, oh, that was a good message. And then we go back to where we were. Bump, that was a good message, and we go back to where we were. But Jesus had another, another methodology where he invested into the lives of a few He chose to invest into the lives of a few and went way beyond preaching to the crowds. If you think in terms of the investment of his life, disproportionately, I'd say 98% of his energy was spent with only 12. And then with a few of those, even more energy was spent with those few. He invested into their lives. Why? Because when you speak to a a life that you love and care for and they know that that you love them and care for them, the the needle on the dashboard of your life for life transformation doesn't just go bump and settle back down because that person knows you, knows the hang-ups you have, knows the issue. He speaks right into it and says, you know, you really ought to, and all of a sudden it goes boom, and it's like, whoa, he's talking about me. There's no dodging this because you're not in a crowd. It's about your life. It's about your changes. It's about what it means for you to follow Jesus. And that's what disciple making is all about. It's the investment in those people that you care for, that they listen because you're caring for them. We've been in this passage. uh, The Wait, 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 don't go there. Jesus could have talked about him, the grand news of Jesus, the way that the Father put this uh, announcement before a few shepherds, angels in the sky, a whole host of them, and we automatically think that they were singing, but it says saying, so they're saying, glory to God in the highest, you know, and they're, they're saying the words, and the shepherds go, whoa, and they go see the baby Jesus. Je- Jesus could have decided he was going to just keep, keep it up. Keep the angel messages in the sky. He's going to turn the whole world around with angel messages until everybody sees the angel messages and everybody comes to God and everybody's transformed. He could have done that. But he he knows that that's not what he wants. He wants us to choose to want him as king, not to be wooed and powered into a, you have to, you know, you see it, you got to believe it, it is it, you just have to, it's not that. He woos you until you want him as king. So he chooses a different method. It's a method of disciple making. Jesus also talked about, you know, when everyone was shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. And people said, stop them, stop them. They're calling you king. Well, he is king. He says, if they don't cry out, the stones would cry out. Jesus could have made our hikes really exciting. We could just take a hike, you know, and the stones start talking. The stones say, Jesus died for your sins. Did you know that? And the stones just start, whoa, what is that? You think Sedona's got something going there? We got, I mean, Jesus could have made this thing really, really wild, and we turned to Jesus because of the stones talking to us, but no, he chooses a different message. And the method he chose is you. We just heard him say it. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Now that, as the Father sent, is a big sentence. You're going to have to go like Jesus went. You're going to have to be humble like Jesus was humble. You're going to have to care like Jesus cared. You're going to have to serve like Jesus served. You're going to have to love like Jesus loved. It's a big deal. 
that he's telling you to follow him and walk the way he walked because he's sending you the same way the Father sent him. Now we're ready to go to Matthew, which is our, our, what the passage we've been on for this whole series, and we continue to be on it this today and next week as well. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is after he has had his victory of the cross, victory of his resurrection, right before his ascension. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right, so we've been talking about the problem. Let's talk about the solution. The solution is not as hard as you think. It's just sharing your chips. I bought a bag of chips specifically for this. Now, I just cut this open this morning, and uh, I noticed as soon as I cut it open and tried to roll it up and put the pin on it, the bag was a lot smaller than I thought it was. I have not had a single chip out of this yet. And uh, it's a lot smaller, which reminds me of something that the bag here, although it says shearing size, it fooled me because most of this bag was full of air, which reminds me of another passage that says, knowledge puffs up. And the thing that we keep saying, I'm not equipped, I'm not equipped, I can't share my faith, I don't know enough. Hey, knowledge is overrated. Knowledge is helpful. But if we wait to know enough, we will never share. And the reality is, it's not from your knowledge that you're sharing. It's from the chips you have received that you will be sharing your chips. When you have received the salty grace of Jesus, you know what it's like to receive grace. When you receive the compassion and love, the grace of Jesus... You know what it's like to be loved in an undeserved way. When you received this love that was beyond what you expected and better than you expected, you know what it's like to receive those kind of chips. And so, at the risk of not being able to finish the rest of the sermon, mm, you can't stop at just one. You need to share your chips because they're good. And they're so good, if this wasn't the time that it is in our strange fear of germs mode, I would walk around through the chairs and through you and and I would go through this little exercise and I'd say, this is really good, you want some? And you would reach right in and you'd grab them right out after I had some and you'd grab them and you'd have some. I'm not going to eat any more, by the way. Right now, I've got to save some for the next few. <clears throat> but here's, here's the illustration. Sharing your tri- chips is not that hard. And so I want to just give you some ways of sharing your chips. On the screen, as you're just talking life and being with somebody, when you say to somebody, because you care, is that a good book you're reading? This is a stranger now. Maybe you're sitting in a waiting room. It's rare now that a person is reading a book in a waiting room. They're looking at their phone. Isn't that true? But if you do catch somebody reading a book, and you say something like, 
is that a good book you're reading? You have just shared a chip. Because you expressed something that was unexpected. And it was about them. Now, if they care to engage, and they say, yeah, it's a really good book. Well, what is it about? And you just act a, you're just giving more and more chips. And as you care, it could be quite a little dialogue that takes place because chips are hard to stop at one. Especially if it's caring, caring, caring. Like you really care about that person as if they're a person. I need more water. I see chips flying. Sorry. HD is not good. So, here's another example. What's it like to deal with people in your job? Maybe you just, you know, you're in a break room and you're, you've got different roles. What's it like in your job right now? It's just a simple chip you share. You're caring about them and they can respond. It's about their life and you care. It Doesn't this sound a little bit like Jesus? This is all introductory, by the way. Did you grow up around here? That's a nice one to say. And it gives them a chance to say no. Or, yeah, I'm proud of it. I'm one of the, I've been here all my life. You're a rare one around here. You know, or, no, I came from so-and-so, and why'd you move out here? And that's just carrying conversation. You know what? This is an art that's being lost across our nation. People are not good expressing the fact that they care about somebody. How do you keep your balance with all this turmoil in life right now? Now, this is just an example of, and you're going to have to come up with all of your own methods. It's got to come from within your bag, see? Your bag of caring expressed through you. If you really do care about people as God cares about people, even though you don't know them, God does. And if you think like Jesus, Jesus has taught you to think that he loves them so much, he died for them. There's value there. And you want them to experience what you've experienced, you're going to be offering a chip. And then they get really thirsty for more chips. They don't know they're thirsty for Jesus, but they are. They're thirsty for care. They're thirsty for grace. And the more that grows, the more opportunities you have to up the ante a little bit. How do you keep your balance with all this turmoil in your life right now? It's a pretty significant question. Let's go to the next one. Would you like to hear, or would you like to hear an encouraging truth that encouraged me? Maybe you just read something in scripture. I was really encouraged. Would you like to hear an encouraging truth? And they say, yeah. Well, you've, you've already been sharing, carrying chips, and they've liked them so far. And now you share another one that's a little bit more to it. Can I tell you a story about a father whose son broke his heart? It's an amazing story. Maybe they've heard it. Maybe they haven't. Oh, I know that one. And then you can tell it. But you know what? In the telling, it's powerful. By the way, the story I'm talking about is Luke 15. You can read it later. All right. Would you mind if I prayed for you about that? Maybe in the caring exchange, they shared something they're going through. And now you are leading them directly to God and caring. It's not as hard as we think. So, keep sharing your chips from the deep source of caring. Peace I leave with you. It's not that hard. 
as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Share your chips. Let's do a little review. Point number one, the problem. Point number two, the solution. Share your chips. A, this is the master plan. Robert Coleman wrote a book that's entitled The Master Plan of Evangelism. I just read it. It was written in 1963. <laughs> it's still a classic. It's a really good book. Now, if you don't take the mission of Jesus seriously, you won't think it's a really good book. You'll be bored. But if you take the mission of Jesus seriously or you want to take the mission of Jesus seriously, you want to know, how do you do this thing? As the Father sent Jesus, what did Jesus do? What was his master plan? And we're following in his footsteps. This is a book that just very clearly lays out for us what does it look like to initiate and pray for and make disciples and what do you do? It's the master plan of evangelism. Jesus did more than simply die on the cross and raise from the dead to forgive your sins to get you to heaven. His whole life is equipping and training you to change the world. And a lot of times we're bemoaning the world and we don't think that we have any impact and Jesus says, you have all of my power, all of my peace, all of my equipping. I'm sending you. Go make disciples. And don't underestimate the power of a few. That's where Jesus put all his energy. The power of the few to change the world. This is still the master plan. Be on the outline. The kingdom spreads when disciples make disciples. Now, we could have stopped there, but we would not be effective. It would have ended at the first round if the first set of disciples only made disciples. You have to make disciples who make disciples to keep it going. If you're only making converts who won't also make disciples, it's going to be the broken chain in the history of Christianity. But you... you have the power to keep the chain links together and make a disciple in somebody else. Don't just stop by bringing them to church and then see them get baptized. That's not far enough. Now continue to care, continue to share your chips, continue to walk with them and care for them because everything you say, if you care, is going to move the needle farther than I can. You don't believe that, but I'm telling you, the more you care and the more you share in are doing life together, you're going to move their needle farther than I'm able to move it with knowledge. Because you care, you'll point them to the source and it'll be an application that works in their life and they start to be transformed in a very personal way because somebody is like a personal coach to them as opposed to sitting in a crowd not knowing how this works, not knowing who to ask questions, and not knowing how to do this thing. You are the one that can embody how it works for me. This is what you do. It's just this kind of easy step. Here's a chip. Would you like a chip? Would you like another chip? And that's how it goes. It's not as hard as we think. We need to become disciples who make disciples who make disciples. If we have this formula, the world will become a beautiful place much quicker than if we have churches and crowds adding people. Adding people is not as fast as 
multiplying out exponentially disciples who are making disciples who make disciples. Exponentially, we'll reach people faster if we get there. Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples. Jim, this is for all of us. This is not for the church as an institution. It's for the church, the people, the disciples of Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It becomes our life mission. Let's review the problem, the solution. This is the master plan. The kingdom spreads when disciples make disciples who make disciples. And see, Jesus did this relationally. Jesus did this relationally. Here's a quote. Jesus' method of making disciples is, there's a mouthful, and I have to think this through very carefully to write it down in such a short sentence, okay? But here is something worth hanging on to. Jesus' method of making disciples is obedience-based instruction as opposed to simply adding knowledge. It's obedience-based instruction that takes place relationally as opposed to teachers in a class, teachers in a crowd, Teachers teaching to masses. This is Jesus' method. Obedience-based instruction that takes place relationally, incrementally, over time, with practice, repetition, and perseverance. This is making disciples. And that's what he's asked each of us to do. Here's Matthew 28, 20. I heard this, and I've read this over and over and over again, but for for some reason, maybe it's because I'm a teacher, I always put the emphasis right here, and teaching. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, and that's kind of how I heard it, right? And yet, this phrase was brought to my attention recently. It was like, oh, my, where'd I miss that? The first thing I did is I went through the entire red letters of all the Gospels to write down every commandment of Jesus because it's our job to teach what and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And when you study the commandments of Jesus, you discover that all of the Old Testament moral commandments are commandments that Jesus took and expanded to the place where it's from the heart by the power of the Spirit. And so the, the amount of teaching that's there is wonderful and guiding and helpful. So I highlight every single command in all the Gospels. It didn't take me long going just through the red letters. Then recognizing, whoa, as you go through that, he is totally emphasizing the entire Ten Commandments and the laws that are there and Others that are not in the Ten Commandments, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and their neighbor as yourself. And wow, just teach people to obey these, and you're going to move the needle. And we get stuck on only teaching. No, let's move the needle. It's possible to have Bible studies, classes, programs, and services, and fail to employ Jesus' method of disciple-making. How do I know this? That survey is what I started with. That survey is not a weird survey in an anomaly church. All through our 
Northern America are anomaly churches where the standard believer thinks it's the church's job but not theirs to make disciples. And so we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. But the solution is not that hard. Share your chips. I can't do that for you. And there are people around you that you can reach that I cannot reach. Share your chips. Really care. Really love people. Now, if you start to pray and ask God for help in leading you in this, as soon as you start praying for people that you share chips with, and all of a sudden you're developing a relationship and a friendship and you're caring, start praying. Jesus, by the way, narrowed it down. He prayed about who he was going to invest in. He could not invest in everybody. He prayed and fasted all night long before he decided he was going to narrow it down to these 12. And then he invested the rest of his life in these 12. And a lot of people think, ooh, that was a crazy idea. But it changed the world. This is what we need to do. Pray and ask God as you're caring and sharing generally. Sharing your chips, sharing your chips, sharing your chips. Eventually, you've got to narrow it down by prayer. Who am I going to invest my life in until they can make disciples who make disciples? Now you can invest in somebody else. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the power of your master plan. It's so powerful. Your teaching is awesome, your method is perfect. And we sometimes forget the method you've given us. Help us to be those who share the grace that you've given us so freely, so beyond what we deserve or expect, that we might be able to share grace so freely and so beyond what we deserve or expect that people want more chips over and over again. And we would enter into the joy of your salvation and we'd see people, their needle move, their lives change. Our lives change because we're excited about what you're doing, that you become alive and real in my life and alive and real in somebody else's life. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.